Gridiron Growl Podcast from Chop Talk with your host, David Soderquist and Michael Pepper. Welcome, everyone, to episode 22 of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, along with lead writer, from Chomp Talk, Michael Pfeffer, and lead man in charge at Chomp Talk, Brian Fox Jr., and we have a special guest on with us on this episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast as we review the Gators' 2020 football season, and that is none other than Will Miles from ReadingReaction.com, and you also know him from a very popular show and podcast, Gators Breakdown. Folks, uh, we've seen it all this season, records and hearts broken, Darth Vader in press conferences, Grantham getting chewed out on the sidelines, cleats thrown, and very many Heisman moments. There uh, was a lot of good and bad dramatics this football season, and would you not expect anything else? And uh, since Will Miles is here with us, I have to go ahead and steal a famous quote from his co-host, David Waters. Uh, it's never a dope moment in Gator Nation, is there, Will? No, certainly not. It's been a interesting season, lots of ups and downs, certainly some downs in the last couple of games, but... Uh, Overall, I think probably when we were sitting things out either before the season when it looked like there might not be games or, uh, you know, right after COVID hit after Texas A&M, I think, uh, think getting through the season, having everybody be healthy and, and having a relatively successful season is a win for everybody. Yep, absolutely, man. And uh, with that being said, folks, we're going to review some of the good and bad moments from each game briefly here on this episode of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsors and staff over at the UPS Store in Tower Square in Gainesville for all your printing and shipping needs. Make sure to check out the UPS store in Tower Square. We'd also like to thank the band Felicity for sponsoring the Gridiron Growl podcast as well. The song at the beginning of the show that you heard is from their album Brace Yourself, and it's called Burn the World. You can check them out on Spotify, Apple Music, and the iTunes store, Amazon Music, YouTube, Pandora, and other music platforms. Felicity rocking out the state of Florida since 2014. So, uh... All right, Brian, man, we came into the season not knowing where this team would be heading into the season with Kyle Trask returning on the offensive side of the football, but we did know one thing before going into this season, that Kyle Pitts was more than likely going to be a force heading into the season. Would you like to go ahead and elaborate for us how the first few games from the start of the season went for this Gators football team? Yeah, man. Obviously, this year got delayed with the COVID stuff going on. Um, but Florida came out to play, and they started balling from the very beginning. On September 26th, they, they started at Ole Miss. Um, and offensively, they, they looked like a well-oiled machine. Uh, little did we know, though, prior to that, uh, the first three games of the 2020 season kind of were the perfect epitome of what the season to come was going to be like. You saw a prolific Florida offense uh, that was kind of overshadowed by a defense that really really just couldn't make a single stop when it was needed. Um, and and obviously that's looking more toward that Texas A&M game, that third game of the year. But, you know, against Ole Miss, Kyle Pitts came out and had uh, eight catches, 170 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, Kyle Trask throws six. Um, but, yeah, we saw those, those failings by the defense early on, and they gave up 613 yards, which is unacceptable, uh, especially for an SEC program. The next week, Florida 
makes their home debut against South Carolina. And while they put up a 38 to 24 win, it wasn't impressive. And uh, that's kind of a common theme that you'll see later in the season. Um, Kyle Trask did his thing 21 for 29 with four touchdowns. Uh, Kadarius Tony kind of had more of a coming out in this game against South Carolina than he did against uh, Ole Miss uh, catching the ball six times, getting 86 yards and finding the end zone. Um, and the defense actually, while they, they didn't play great, they didn't play bad. And, and again, this is against a bad South Carolina offense uh, that eventually led to Will Muschamp's firing. Uh, but you know, the third game was really kind of, I think the turning point of the season that's the Texas A&M game. Uh, Kyle Trask, once again, another good game, 23 for 32, 312 yards, four scores. Uh, Kadarius Toney had a big game. Um, you even saw uh, Malik Davis out of the backfield with three catches for 73 yards, had a couple big gainers there, um, but unfortunately had a costly fumble uh, at, in the last minutes of the game. Um, the Florida defense also made Kellen Mond look like a Heisman Trophy winner, something that a lot of teams actually didn't do this year. Um, and Texas A&M also ran all over the field, rushing for 213 yards. Um, like you said, all in all, this this was a Florida team that through those three games, we kind of saw what the actual identity of this team was. It was going to be a really, really incredible offensive attack with a really porous defensive um, secondary specifically, but the entire defense looked confused at times. And, and I'm sure we'll get into that more uh, coming up. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, going into actually the beginning of the season, I actually had higher hopes for this defense. I thought they would improve, uh, especially with the recruiting and how that had went. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we got our answer here in this Texas A&M game. And uh, actually, who was next on the uh, the schedule was LSU, and that game got postponed due to COVID-related issues. And actually, this would prove to be a key factor later on in the season. But, but for technically here, it gets a bye week. So uh, Florida sits out there uh, a week, and then Florida would – Go from there to the Missouri game. And if you're wondering how the Gators would respond, would they come out flat or discouraged? Or would they come out and fight and take it to Missouri? As we've known in years past, when Florida has a bad loss following the Missouri game, it's not, it, it hasn't been good. Um, uh, but uh, a key guy that was missing on this Florida's defensive line proved to be greatly missed as Florida would finally get back Kyrie Campbell. And it did prove to be the difference in this defensive and defensive line. Four sacks, six quarterback hurries. Six total tackles for loss, and also the defense would account for two forced fumbles. This was the defensive line we needed to help out this Florida's defensive backfield as uh, Trask would have another four-touchdown day and a 345-yard passing day as Florida would defeat the Missouri Tigers here 41-17. to Zachary Carter would also get into a scuffle on the sideline, which would suspend him for the first half of the Jacksonville game and the second half of this game. So a huge loss for the Gators on that defensive line in Jacksonville, but this did not prove to be much of a factor in this game against Missouri. Uh, but then it would lead into the big game in Jacksonville, Florida, Georgia, number five versus number eight. The last time these teams were ranked five and eight, it resulted in a blowout win over the Bulldogs in Jacksonville in 2008, 49-10. Florida would have a total of 373 yards in that game in 2008. And going into this game in 2020, would we see the same kind of production or even better? I didn't think that there was a Florida fan that thought we would see a blowout victory over the Bulldogs, but the Bulldogs with some key injuries on defense, but loads up on talent every year, especially on defense where Florida does not. So I wasn't expecting crazy offensive numbers this game, but uh, yeah, boy, was I wrong. If uh, Trash chose a day at this point in the season to have his best offensive numbers for the season, 
I was definitely glad he chose this game to do it in. As we all know, I live in Georgia, so this was great. But uh, Trask would throw for 474 yards this game, four touchdowns as Florida would defeat the Georgia Bulldogs for the first time in Dan Mullen's tenure. As head coach at the University of Florida, 44-28, to Georgia would come off with a hot start there with a one-play 70-plus yard run from Zamir White for a touchdown right off the bat. First play of the first offensive drive, and then uh, they would... Florida would, would not score on their next drive, and then Georgia would score quick once again with a Marcus Roseby touchdown to go up 14 to nothing quick within about four minutes of the game, So, uh, which really scared me a lot as a Gator fan. But then it was the Kyle Trask show all day right after that, and he and this defense never looked back. Had a scary pick six there, but uh, then recharged and never looked back uh, and uh, torched Georgia's secondary. Uh, so Florida rolling out of Jacksonville with a 44-28 victory over the number five Bulldogs, and this would set them up on the highway to win the SEC East. Florida would then face off against their former quarterback, Felipe Franks, and uh, as some fans thought, Franks could get a big upset here and shush us once again, but uh, from the other side of the football, this proved not to be happening whatsoever. Florida had a huge offensive day this game, scoring 63 points. Trask would throw for 356 yards and six touchdowns, the uh, second six-touchdown game he would have this season, and and. This game, we finally got to see some of the backups, like Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson play, but Trask, man, good Lord, he uh, smoked these guys out of the stadium. Um, uh, Florida would have a total of 593 total team yards, and the defensive line and the defense up front were proved to be another force this game with a total of four total sacks, eight tackles for loss, and three quarterback hurries, and would also force a lost fumble that Florida would recover. So uh, Florida's offense is humming big time here. Right now, at this part of the season, Kyle Trask is plummeting his stock in the Heisman race as they uh, as we would go into next week to face off against the Vanderbilt Commodores, a game that Florida was heavily favored in. And uh, Mike, I'm going to go ahead and let you take it from here. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Florida was heavily favored coming into that Vanderbilt game. They uh, had just come off of several very big wins in the season, and uh, they seem to be rolling and, and rebounding from that earlier Texas A&M loss. Um, Coming into this game, they uh, Trask was getting a lot of Heisman uh, praise, and he didn't let down in this one. He had 26 out of 35 passing uh, for 383 yards and three touchdowns on the way to a 38-17 win over Vanderbilt. All told, the team uh, performed Vanderbilt 586 to 406 total yards, but that kind of shows that we did still have the problem with with the defense kind of giving up a little bit more than they should. They had kind of a, a bend but not break uh, role in this one, though. Overall, though, no real surprises in this one. You know, Florida rolled on to win by 21 points, and then they moved into the next week where they took on Kentucky. Uh, you know, this one was not as close as they've been in recent years. The, the Gators ended up winning 34 to 10. Um, I think the previous years they'd all been, you know, single score wins uh, or losses in, in Dan Mullen's first year. Um, but Kentucky kind of set the uh, set the table for the rest of the season. You know, they showed kind of how to slow Florida down a little bit. Uh, the first half, they really kind of dominated the, the clock and Florida only had a handful of possessions. They ended up being ahead 14 to 10, but that was because of a Kadarius Tony uh, punt return for touchdown right at the end, right just at, at the half. Uh, and Kyle Trask, <clears throat> excuse me, Kyle Trask actually had his worst performance of the season, uh, 21 of 27 passing for just 256 yards and three touchdowns. 
but this was Kyle Pitts' first time back since the Georgia game when he took a, a huge hit uh, and was injured. So he actually kind of had a coming out party going uh, five receptions for 99 yards and all three of Kyle Trask's uh, passing touchdowns went to Kyle Pitts. Uh, moving on to the Tennessee game, this was uh, another big win for, for uh, Florida. But if you look at the final score, uh, it really didn't look like it. They were up 31-7, and, and late in the fourth quarter, uh, Tennessee did score a couple of touchdowns to make it a 31-19 final score. But they, once again, they kind of slowed Florida down there in the first half. Uh, Trask did finish the game with 433 yards and four touchdowns. So he was right back on pace with his Heisman uh, caliber season. And once again, Kyle Pitts kind of being the showboat right there, seven receptions, 128 yards. Kadarius Tony also going over a hundred yards in this one. And, you know, Tony and, and Pitts were both instrumental as, as far as receivers, there were several times where both of them ended up over a hundred yards this season. So Florida is still on the roll, but you know, we're, we're riding this wave high going into the LSU game where, that was rescheduled from earlier in the season. And we ended up being, uh, I, I think we were, was 24 point favorites coming into this game. Yeah. Um, and it just didn't go the way that, that we all thought it would. So pretty much anything that could have gone wrong in this game did. You know, we had, uh, the thickest fog just lay in about midway through the third quarter. You couldn't see the field or, or I'm sure it wreaked havoc in the passing game and, and trying to field punts. Um, and just to kind of show uh, just how poorly the defense played, Florida had 609 yards of offense and yeah. still lost this game. And because of the fact that the offense was so good, not, not that they were without mistakes, they had three turnovers in this game. Uh, you know, but because the offense was so good this season, they actually still had the chance right there at the very end. And unfortunately, Evan McPherson's kick went just wide left. Um, but of course, I think the thing that we will all remember from this game is Marco Wilson throwing the cleat at the end of the game uh, and with it throwing away the win and any real hope for a college football playoff. Uh, as far as Kyle Trask, you mentioned earlier, he had his best game of the season uh, with 474 yards against Georgia. He matched that against LSU, but he also threw two interceptions. Yeah, and uh, one of those one of those interceptions proved to be kind of a key play in this game. Uh, it was a pick six and um, uh, really put Florida in a bad position, a bad spot here. And, uh, you know, it, it, this was the game that you should have, should have, could have, would have won. And, and, and you were favored over 20 points in this game. And uh, this was the game that Florida needed to, uh, you know, in the regular season here, especially at home on senior night with all the seniors out there, and uh, Florida failed to do so. And um, this was kind of a heartbreaker. This was probably the worst heartbreaking loss of the season. Losing to A&M wasn't so bad, uh, especially once we get into this SEC championship game. That wasn't so bad. But, man, uh, this LSU one hurt. And uh, I kind of want to, you know, since we've yeah. – it, it was a heartbreaker. And, I mean, you look at, at the end of the game, there's Kadarius Tony still sitting there, crouched down uh, at midfield, just knowing that – he gave everything he could and, and they still lost that they at that point ended up being one of the most important games of the season. Uh, Tony ended up with nine catches for 182 yards and a touchdown and then rushed for, I think 120 yards more. 
Yeah, and one thing I just wanted to bring up real quick uh, with that LSU game is you, for three weeks, you could almost see it coming. The The team was projected to beat these other schools. You know, you had Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee. These are games that they should have been winning like Alabama was doing, 63-3. to three, And Florida just had a hard time putting them away or they found themselves in early deficits. And you almost felt like, you know, the big bang was coming at some point. And it finally happened in this LSU game. And, I mean, it really changed the entire course of the season. And who knows, there's a huge what if here as what if Evan McPherson makes that kick. What if Florida doesn't rest on its laurels what if Kyle Pitts plays what if there's a whole lot of what ifs here and unfortunately it's just not it's not what Florida fans want to hear especially as you start to move into the SEC championship especially because there was a lot of chatter about whether or not that game should have even been played after the ACC went and got went and canceled the games that they had the previous week so that the champions had a championship teams had a chance to rest um but yeah, that's that's kind of where we sit, and and here we are going into the SEC championship game. Yeah, I, I just want to make a correction real quick. I said Tony had 120 yards rushing. He actually only had 56 yards rushing in that game. So we head into the SEC championship game. Um, Florida 17 point underdogs. I think coming off the LSU game, especially as heartbreaking as that was, people, you know, there's a question: Was Florida going to show up? Were they going to be able to come out there and continue to fight? Or the fact that the playoff was essentially out of reach. Now the college football playoff committee had put Florida at number seven, which did give maybe a little bit of hope to Florida fans that if they were able to pull off an upset against Alabama and if it was able to be a convincing win, that maybe a two-loss SEC champion would be put into the playoff ahead of a one-loss A&M who'd beaten them earlier just because of sort of the three-way, you know, hey, Florida beat Alabama, A&M beat Florida, Florida won the SEC, so they're going to get to go. As unlikely as that is, especially now that we know who the four teams are and A&M being left out, that was sort of the one thing on the table. The other thing on the table was Kyle Trask versus Mac Jones for the Heisman Trophy. Those were sort of the two leading candidates heading in. You figured you were going to have to win this one for Trask to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, Though I don't know, we'll still see because um, Trask and Jones have both been named finalists. And I, I have to say, honestly, Honestly, watching this game, I don't think either one of those guys was the best guy on the field because the best guy on the field, the SEC championship, was most definitively Najee Harris. 31 carries for 178 yards, a 29-yard rush that really sort of put the game away at the end, at least on Alabama's final touchdown drive. But he also had five receptions for 67 yards and three touchdowns. He had two rushing touchdowns, so five total touchdowns on the night for Najee Harris. Um, Devontae Smith, 15 receptions for 184 yards. And then Mac Jones, 33 of 43, 418 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception. And that one interception could have really been a killer because it was deep in the red zone in on Alabama's second drive of the first half. And Trey Dean picks it off and then gets really targeted by uh, Mechie, the wide receiver for Alabama. Dean then fumbles the ball right after he's intercepted at Alabama recovers it one play later, a big play to Devontae Smith and Alabama's up 14 to seven, instead of maybe completely changing the complexion of that first half. Um, Kyle Trask, 26 of 40, 408 yards and three touchdowns passing. He also had 15 rushes for zero yards and one touchdown and 15 rushes. Granted, he was sacked five times, but still that means he had 10 called rushing plays. That was one of the big stories in the game. I think especially early on Florida had a couple of drives that were stalled because they ran quarterback draws on third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. 
where the offensive line just couldn't hold up. Alabama was able to make the tackle. And then Dan Mullen decided not to go for it on fourth down. In particular, um, when they were down 14-7, to seven, he decided to kick a field goal. There was one time near midfield where they ran another one where he decided not to go for it on fourth down. And that lack of aggression did seem to hurt the Gators, considering that this one ended up 52-46, to 46, Alabama winning the game. It was really a tale of two halves. So Alabama goes into halftime up 35 to 17. That was after Florida had really sort of blitzed down the field to score with just a little bit over a minute left um, and, and pull it to 28 to 17. But they left a little bit too much time on the clock. Todd Grantham decided to play a three man rush prevent defense and he prevented them from keeping Alabama from scoring. Um, throw a 22-yard throw to Najee Harris with like 10 seconds left in the first half. Alabama goes into the half up 35-17. to 17. Second half, Florida comes out. The defense actually does get a couple of stops there in the third quarter. Um, Florida wins that quarter 14 to nothing. Florida comes right out of the locker room. Trask gets a 50-yard throw to Trevon Grimes over Patrick Sertan right down the, right the sideline. And then all of a sudden, it, it was the Canarius Tony in the first half. So he wound up with eight receptions for 153 yards. Most of those were in the first half. Then it became the Kyle Pitts and Trevon Grimes show in the second half. Um, the 50-yard pass to Grimes, but then you all said, you had a 25-yard pass to Grimes, and then you had 20 yards, 31, 25, and 22 to Pitts as Florida was really able to go up and down the field on Alabama as they wanted in the second half. It was just they built themselves such a big hole that they weren't able to really recover at that point. The one difference that you could see in the two teams, I think, when you looked at this was Najee Harris specifically on the ground. When, when Florida started coming screaming back in the second half, Alabama relied on Najee Harris, which is why one of the things I think actually fits in Kyle Pitts, or I'm sorry, in Kyle Trask's advantage for the Heisman Trophy is that when Alabama needed something, they gave it to Najee Harris. They didn't put it in the hands of Mac Jones, whereas when Florida all season long needed anything, they had to put the ball in the hands of Kyle Trask. Um, but they gave it to Najee Harris, were able to come down and score. And then obviously you've got the timeout debacle at the end for, for Dan Mullen. Not only the fact that so they're driving down two touchdowns down on, on Alabama. They're able to score to bring it to within seven. But after they score the touchdown, they call a timeout before going for a two-point conversion because they didn't have the two-point conversion play ready. By the time they kicked the ball back to Alabama with a little bit over two minutes left, the defense is able to stop Alabama, but they don't get the ball back until there's like 25, 26 seconds left. Kyle Trask gets sacked, and that's the ball game. So um, a really valiant effort by the Gators in the SEC championship. I think most people coming in expected Alabama to probably score about 52. I think most people probably expected Florida to get stopped somewhere in the 30 to 35 range. The fact that they were able to get up to 46, the fact that Alabama couldn't stop them, the fact that Kyle Trask was able to put up the kinds of numbers that he did. And then you looked at who his go-to guys were this year. Those guys really stepped up. So Tony, eight receptions, 153 yards. Kyle Pitts, seven receptions for 129 yards. And then Emory Jones made an appearance again, two two rushes for 24 yards, one 17-yard rush on a touchdown drive to, to start the second half. That was really a big deal. So, um, you know, the defense struggled in this one on the, on the field for 84 plays, two sacks, five tackles for loss, whereas Alabama, 59 plays on the field, five sacks, seven tackles for loss. The, the story of the day, both teams, so Florida averaged seven yards per play um, and Alabama averaged 7.3 yards per play. So really when you look at it, neither defense could stop anybody. Both offenses really, really, um, you know, both offenses playing at an elite level, the, the difference was really just that Alabama was on the field a lot more, and that was because of Najee Harris. So, um, 50, like I said, 52 to 46, Florida, or Alabama pulls that one out. Alabama obviously goes on to the college football playoff and, and Florida to the Cotton Bowl to play Oklahoma. 
Yeah, and that was kind of a heartbreaker, man. Uh, but that, that was the big difference in the game was that, uh, Florida could not run the ball and Alabama could run the ball. Uh, and, um, you know, with some key turnovers there that uh, went, went Alabama's way, especially that one turnover there with uh, Latrady getting that interception, ripping it away from that tight end there. Uh, fumbles the ball, gets leveled by, uh, I think it was Meche that leveled him. And, uh, yeah, should have probably been a targeting call. But uh, if, if you're used to old man football, man, that was just a good play. But, um, yeah, uh, was a little bit of a heartbreaker there. In that SEC championship, I know I wasn't as upset as I was at that LSU game because that LSU game appeared to be a big factor in Florida's schedule. And uh, I just, it, as far as I'm concerned, man, uh, I, I'm used to Florida going into these SEC championship games against Alabama and completely getting torched and blown out. So uh, for, for Florida to, you know, compete here and uh, for both defenses, actually, both defenses on both sides of the ball got lit up. And for Florida to be able to... Compete here and uh, come out with a six-point loss actually uh, made me a little bit happier as a Florida Gator fan. Uh, what about you, Brian? Yeah, I think as a fan uh, of Florida, you you had to be proud of the effort that you saw on the field and to see it from the guys who had been around in the program for a while, who had gone through the Jim McElwain years. Um yeah, I mean, if you come out of that thinking that anything but that you're proud, I understand the disappointment, the disappointment in that LSU game. And because it looks like when you look at the the, the schedule or whatever, you see it and you're like, man, you just take away that LSU game and, and who knows what happens here. And it looks like such a fluke on paper um, that, yeah, I think there's a lot of what ifs there as well. But I think you you can't look at this and say, man, I'm not proud of this team and the effort that they put up because they were such big underdogs. Nobody knew how they were going to respond after the LSU game. Yeah, I came away proud. I came away thinking, you know, maybe Mullen's closing the gap on Nick Saban and what he's got going on at Alabama. So I, I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Uh, I think that, you know, offensively, yeah, we, we hung right in there with them toe-to-toe. But I also think that we had a, a you know, I've said this a couple times this season, a generational-type quarterback uh, that only comes along ever ever so often. Um, defensively, though, it, it looks like we've, we've got quite a ways to go still. I mean, I, I just say that it, it, it really boils down to – um, there need to be some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball who can match the playmaking that you're seeing on the offensive side of the ball. That, that you know, it, it's not good enough to have one guy out there who's elite and then everybody else sort of, you know, substandard. You're really going to have to have at least guys who are above replacement level all the way across the board on, on the defensive side of the ball. And one of the problems that we had is, you know, the fans and certainly some analysts were screaming for guys to come in and play over some of the seniors and, and juniors who were, maybe not playing as well as we would expect on the defensive side of the ball, but the reality is if they're not in there, it's likely that they they weren't going to play much better, which says something about your depth, which isn't something that happens on the Alabama side. I mean, in Alabama, you, you make a bad play, you're immediately coming off the field. That wasn't necessarily something that we saw. Um, the thing I think we learned maybe is, is that Dan Mullen is an offensive just savant, but when it comes to managing the overall game and the overall team and the overall program, that's a place where maybe there's still some advancement to be made. Um, when you look at somebody like Saban, 
you know, Saban goes out earlier this year and Alabama doesn't miss a beat. You know, I do wonder if, if say if Mullen had happened to have to miss a game because of COVID or something like that. And what would have happened on the offensive side of the ball? I don't necessarily know because, you know, he clearly is the offensive coordinator of this team, or at least the lead offensive mind of this team. And that's where this team is elite. And in a place where probably he hasn't spent as much time on the defense, well, that's where things are starting to, you know, need to be duct taped a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see next year what happens. Um, obviously, there's a lot of turnover on the defensive side of the ball. Conceivably, there may be some changes on the staff when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. It'll be interesting to see. I, I hesitate to say closing the gap. I think what it really boils down to is, is when you've got a guy who can't be stopped, then it doesn't matter how good the defense on the other side is. And Florida had that guy this year. And so uh, any, I think there are a lot of people clamoring for Emory Jones, rightfully so. I'm actually really interested to see what he's going to do next year too. But if Trask decided to come back for 2021 because he wanted to play in front of friends and he or play in front of fans, and he wanted to become a Florida legend. Nobody should say don't do it because, man, having that guy on the sideline and having that guy behind center is is, is a big difference maker. Yeah, and I, I'm one of those big Emory Jones guys, and if Kyle Trask was to choose to come back next year, I, I don't think I'd be upset. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I would actually throw a party. So, uh, yeah, um, um, very a very good year from, from Florida. I mean, if you total up the losses from the Texas A&M game, LSU game, and Alabama, you total up three, three, and six points. Four to 12 points away from being undefeated this year. And uh, if I, I could have said that at the beginning of the year and said that we would have an offense that's humming over 40-plus uh, points per game, I would have told you that you were, you were an idiot. But now <laughs> we're sitting here a 40-plus points per game average, and then uh, obviously the defense wasn't as good this year either. And if you would have told me the defense was going to give up like 20 to 30 points per game, I would have told you you were stupid too. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a very, very weird year, I think, that nobody could have predicted for this team. But um, I'll, I'll tell you this, man, I, just as a Florida Gator fan uh, and, and watching this team for decades, man, uh, the, this team right here this year, man, uh, this is something special. Even even with the, the way the defense has played this year, uh, the offense is, is able to pretty much almost make up for the defensive deficiencies. Uh, it hasn't proven in some games, but it's, all the games have been close. There's, no, there's been no blowout games from this team. And uh, it, the, the offense here, we've been clamoring for it for over 10 years, saying we need an offense, we finally get one. And, um, you know, this, this is a team, and the, we haven't had a quarterback like this at the University of Florida in a long, long, long time. He's broken all, he's broken all the passing records over here at, at the University of Florida. And for us to see something like this this year is something special. So, um, you know, Florida will go into the game next week against the Oklahoma Sooners in Arlington, Texas. And uh, this may be the last time we see Kyle Trask in a Florida Gators uniform, guys. So if, uh, you know, if you're a Florida Gator fan and, and uh, you want to pick and choose what happened this year, just uh, go ahead and let it go, man, because this might be the last time you see something great. Yeah, I know I'm going to be cheering for him uh, as loud as I can. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, with that being said, um, uh, Brian, uh, Will, Mike, let's just like to go into some of just the, the favorite moments of this year. Uh, pick, uh, we, we, before this podcast, we, we would have said, hey, what was your favorite moment of this year? And uh, if I'd like to start around the field, I'll go last on this one, Brian. Uh, what was your favorite moment of the year? Favorite play, favorite moment? Well, I was really grateful that Felipe Franks got to come back to Florida. Um, it was a little bit disappointing, in my opinion, that the fans opted to boo him. <laughs> um, because Felipe Franks, while, while a polarizing figure in itself, the guy gave you everything he had for three years, uh, you know, fourth year. Um, but 
he wasn't a bad guy. I think he was crucified because we kind of thought that he was going to be something better than he was. His rating indicated that he was going to be more, but this was a guy who laid it on the field and he gave us some pretty magical moments along the way. I was glad to get to see him come back. I was glad to see him have a pretty decent game coming back. And then I was also glad to see Florida win by 28 points or whatever it was. All right, we'll go ahead. Will. Yeah, my favorite moment, if, if you know me and you know uh, you know who my rivals are and who I really pay attention to, the, the Georgia game is the one that sticks out in my mind. And in particular, it was Florida's down 14 nothing. Florida comes back to tie it at 14-14, and then Trash throws what looks like could be a back-breaking pick six. Florida gets the ball back, and they go on a two-play 75-yard drive to tie the game up to twenty at 21-21. It was the first of the wheel routes that we saw in that game, out to Naquan Wright for like 30 or 40 yards, and then he hits uh, Kyle Pitts over the best corner for Georgia so that Georgia couldn't complain that it was because, uh, you know, because their their safeties were out at that point that, uh, that that they weren't winning this one. They went right at their best corner, one-on-one coverage with Kyle Pitts. goes Perfect throw by, by Trash, but an awesome play by Pitts to defend him off and catch the ball at that point it was 21 21 you're like okay my concern coming into this game was florida was playing a top tier defense what was going to happen to this offense when they finally played the top tier defense and at that point you know it felt like two minutes later florida was up by two touchdowns heading into the half and so um to me that sort of epitomized this team that the defense was going to put them in a hole that every once in a while trash because he's a little bit of a gunslinger was going to throw one out there that might get might get sniped by the opposing defense but that florida was going to be in every game because they had the ability to have that two-play 75-yard drive. takes you 45 seconds, and bam, you're right back in the game. Uh, I want to say I agree with both you and Brian. Um, Those were excellent moments. And and I was really excited to see Felipe Franks come back in. And, Brian, you know that I was always a little more generous to Felipe Franks than maybe he deserved. But, Always. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that was a, a great uh, moment seeing him come back and, and the way the team responded to, to his return. Um, it's always great to beat Georgia. So, yeah, I, I loved every moment of that and the way they responded to being down early. Uh, but if I have to pick favorite plays, uh, I'm going to say one, the, the coffin corner punt from Kyle Trask, just kind of showing he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, and then more recently, the the first touchdown pass uh, to Kadarius Tony in the SEC championship, the way that the team responded, and he, he just hit him perfectly in stride, and he had that uh, the defender burnt right from the start. Yeah, I forgot and, about that punt. <laughs> and Michael, Michael kind of hit it on the head. This was a team that, you know, there was few times that they got down, but every time they did, they showed that resilience. They fought back and they got ahead in every one of those games. Uh, it's another incredible side of this, this team's story. Yeah, I was saying, I forgot about that punt that Kyle Trask had. Uh, yeah, that was uh, actually a moment I actually did forget about until he brought it up. And uh, yeah, like you said, Mike, uh, in that SEC championship game, the way that they responded real quick with a Kadarius Tony touchdown, that that was, uh, that was really cool to see. We're not used to seeing that when Florida's down, especially against a team like Alabama in, in, in an SEC championship game. But uh, it just goes to show you how, how, how elite Kyle Trask is and how how much Kadarius Tony has improved this year. I mean, good Lord. Uh, I mean, we didn't expect any of this from Kadarius Tony going into this year. But uh, my, my favorite moment 
would obviously be from the Jacksonville game, too. Uh, well, uh, you know me. I, I live in Woodstock. You know I've got a plethora of Georgia jokes right behind me <laughs> in here. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say my favorite moment of the season and moment from that particular game was the, the acrobatic catch that Trevon Grimes had in the end zone. Uh, that, that would put uh, Florida up 38 to, uh, I believe it was 38 to 17, or 30 to 21 in that in that first half. Uh, just an amazing catch there that would put Florida in the lead going into the halftime. But I'll say that was my favorite play, considering the importance of that game and the fact it was against our main rivals in the East. But I feel like there was so many plays this year that it's kind of hard to pick a favorite play. I mean, the, <laughs> with the offense, the way that it was humming, um, you could have probably picked 10-plus plays that you wanted to do to be your favorite play this year. But, uh, yeah, definitely that one sinks in my mind a lot, that Trevon Grimes pass over Tyson Campbell over there in the end zone. That, one, that one's going to stick in my brain forever. That's just because he follows you on Twitter. Well, uh, th- that was still one hell of a catch, though, too. <laughs> yeah, he, he had an incredible season. You can't knock that at all. All right. Yeah, well, now we're going to get into our biggest overachiever and underachiever this year. And uh, I guess I'm going to go ahead and start out on this one because uh, I, I was kind of at a loss. I had to look at so many different things. But the overachiever was easy for me. Uh, if I was going to pick... Anybody on offense would be Kadarius Tony. Going into this year, we didn't expect almost a thousand yards of receptions from Kadarius Tony on the season. Uh, Fourteen hundred and thirty-nine all-purpose yards with receiving, rushing, kickoff returns, punt returns, and averaging thirteen point four yards per play every time he touched the ball in all of those categories. Uh, picked him as my MVP. If you know Brian, we had a uh, preseason show at the beginning of the year. I picked him as my offensive MVP just because. Uh, you know, I thought he had a lot to prove. Uh, his his draft stock wasn't that great heading on into this season. And if he wanted to improve his draft stock, he was going to really have to show out. I figured he would step up a little bit more in the receiving role, but I knew he'd be returning kicks as well. And I thought he had just a lot more options on the table for himself as an athlete and running the ball, returning, uh, wide receiver. So, yeah, my biggest overachiever on offense this year is Kadarius Tony. Uh, the biggest on defense, and I know we just picked one player, but I just wanted to do defense as well. I think it would have to be Ventral Miller. He's He's been a force in stopping the run game and, and helping out this defensive line. So, uh, if, if you want to go pick a defensive guy, I'm going to go pick Ventral Miller. But uh, I know we only picked one guy, but I figured I'd do defense. So, uh, anybody else want to go ahead and give their uh, overachiever this year? Uh, I'm going to agree with you. Kadarius Tony is definitely my guy. Uh, he's approaching a thousand yards receiving, like you said, and just the way that he established himself this season versus the previous seasons as an every down presence, he was able to uh, run the roots and, and almost to perfection. And, and he's got one of those just twitchy kind of steps that break ankles and, uh, he, he showed out. Uh, I just, he, he did a little more than what I expected this year. Yeah. I mean, I'd actually say Kyle Trask when you think about somebody who overachieved, I mean, to, to come in, coming into the season, I know uh, Neil Blackman over at Saturday on South wrote, you know, sort of a, why not Kyle Trask for Heisman. But other than that, I think most people were pretty, uh, you know, we thought we were going to get a good quarterback. I don't think we thought a guy, we thought we were going to get a guy who's going to lead an offense to score 40 points a game and be a main fulcrum doing offense. I expected Florida's offense to be a little bit better because I expected him to be able to run the ball better this year and that they'd get approximately the same, 
general performance out of Trask. You know, he averaged 8.3 yards per throw last year, a QB rating of 156.1, 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions in 12 games. That's a really good season for a college quarterback. You kind of figure, hey, you caught lightning in a bottle when he came in for Felipe Franks last year. That's probably what you're going to get again this year. No, he upped his percentage, his completion percentage up near 70, 10.1 yards per attempt, 43 touchdowns, five interceptions, 186.7 on his QB rating and wound up throwing for, you know, an extra 1,200 yards in a game less this year than he had last year. So, you know, not only just the reality was he was the person who made the offense go. If he went out and had a bad game, Florida was going to struggle offensively. And I think he had like 256 yards against Kentucky. But other than that, he was up over 300 and a lot of times up over 400. So, um, you know, he, he probably fits, you know, you think about most valuable player and you think about overachiever. I think it sort of fits both is that he was what made the offense hum and, and the level of improvement that he showed in, in 2020 was significant. Yeah, he uh, he had, I think, the five games over 400 yards this season. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe they there was three by previous Florida quarterbacks over the last 20 years. Yeah, I think he had, like, only two games where he threw under 300 yards. <laughs> that's, that's pretty impressive, man. <laughs> Will, do you happen to have his, his season yard? I know that that's a, a big statistic for you. Yeah, so I have it up. It's yards above replacement is one that I calculate. Um, so he's up over two. Hold on, I got it here. 2.04 is what he wound up at. 10.1 yards per attempt, 0.8 yards per rush. He started to take a lot more sacks towards the end of the year and, and lowered that considerably. But, uh, you know, anything above one is really, really good. Anything above two, you're talking Heisman worthy, and, and he was right there. Yeah, so getting back on the uh, the biggest overachiever, I, I kind of figured you guys would go the skill positions. Um, I kind of went the opposite way. I went with Stone Forsythe. Um, watching his watching his development, his maturity, and, and just the growth that he made um, was, was something to behold. It was something that I completely did not expect. Um, I know the running game was still a struggle for, for much, much of the year, but this is a guy who was rated as the best uh, offensive lineman in that Alabama game against all those five stars and those Alex Leatherwoods types. Um, and I, I think this is a guy who this year has now put himself in a position to where he could get drafted and you could see him make significant payday in the NFL now. Yeah, he actually graded out against Alabama the highest that any opposing offensive lineman has in the Saban era. Yeah, that was a good pick there, Brian. I think that I think that obviously gets overlooked is the way the offensive line and some of the offensive linemen have played. And Stone Forsyth was was lived up to his name. He stoned a lot of people this this game uh, this year. And uh, yeah, obviously you're going to look at offensive linemen for referring to somebody like Gene Delance or something like that that's been giving up a lot of sacks this year. But uh, yeah, you don't that's for the next one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for the next one. But uh, yeah, uh, definitely uh, good pick there, Brian. I, I would have never. I, I, I can't. I can't say that I would never would have thought of that because I know Stone Forsyth has played really good this year. But that's uh, it's just the way that this offense has been humming. There's just so many people that you could pick on offense for this category. But uh, yeah, Stone Forsyth, man, he was a a big deal in that offensive line this year for the University of Florida, protecting Kyle Trask there. And uh, we're now we're going to go into our biggest underachiever this year. And um, uh, who wants to go first? Uh, I went first. You, you last mind time. if I lead off on that one? Yeah, you can go ahead and lead off. Go ahead, Mike. Right, I, I'm, I'm going to do what you did. I, I've got one for offense and one for defense. So uh, 
biggest underachiever on offense. We we just mentioned his name, Gene Delance. Uh, he just he was like a sieve for the opposing defenses to run through this season. Um, anytime he was in, you could count on pressure coming from that side. The other on on the defensive side of the ball, I hate to say it because you know I had high expectations for him. He 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 certainly hyped up what he had planned to do coming into this season, but. Marco Wilson did not live up to the hype. Well, so did Grantham. <laughs> I think Grantham said he was the best T- defensive touche, players yeah. coached. <laughs> yeah, those, those are the obvious suspects. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, go ahead, uh, Will or Brian, which which one of y'all? That's, that's my underachievers, Todd Grantham. <laughs> so, you know, you, you whenever your defense gives up 39.3 points per game in your three losses, um, that's on the coordinator. That ain't on one guy. And Florida's defense clearly underachieved this year. Um, and, and I'm going to put that on the defensive coordinator. You know, if, if there's a particular player who's not who's not playing the way he should, then that player needs to be taken off the field, at least for a little bit. Some of the discipline problems they had, you know, one of the things I didn't mention when I was going over the SEC championship game was in the first half, Florida had a bunch of opportunities to get off the field and some discipline penalties caused problems where they had offsides to turn a third and 10 into a third and five. They had illegal hands to the face on a third down stop. Obviously the interception I mentioned with Trey Dean, that's probably not something you can actually, uh, that you can necessarily blame on on anybody, really. That's sort of a free play. But at the same time, you know, that was something that happened all year long. It was Florida's defense might have an opportunity to get off the field and just couldn't on third down. It was really bad on third down all year. So Grantham living up to his third and Grantham nickname, I'm going to put him as the underachiever of 2020. Yeah, it's funny. I actually – I expected everybody to go with Wilson. I wanted to go with that, you know, out of the box pick again. And I picked Todd Grantham and I should have gone before Will. (laughs) Um, But no, I I think, you know, we saw the problems with the team lining up on third down. Man, any, why any team didn't go hurry up against this Florida defense. I don't understand. Um, But yeah, I mean, for every, for every reason that Will said and more Todd Grantham was the biggest disappointment of 2020. And if he's on that sideline next year, he needs to simplify things and, and we'll just kind of go from there. But Dave, what's yours? (laughs) Well, uh, if you're Marco Wilson, you definitely can't throw a cleat at Devontae Smith to try to stop him when he's, uh, when he's burning you four yards down the field. But uh, yeah, that's not coaching though. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think me and you went into it a little bit earlier this year. We were talking about, is it really the players that are underperforming or is it Grantham or is it just both? And I was just like, it's probably both. (laughs) I, I uh, I would agree with that. But yeah, uh, and me, I went, I went a little bit outside of the box, and this, and I say this with no insult. I think it's easy to pick Marco Wilson and Gene Delance in this category. Those are quickly the obvious suspects from what you expected from them at the beginning of the season till the end of the season. But someone, I guess, that I expected more from this season, but he didn't really play bad at all. Was Jacob Copeland, and and I know it's hard to get the ball if you have people like Pitts, Tony Shorter, and Grimes on the field, and I get that, uh, but. Copeland sometimes when he did get the opportunity at times dropped the ball a lot, even when the ball hasn't been that contested or not contested at all. Uh, don't Like I said, don't get me wrong. He's also had some great, amazing catches this season as well and had a lot of drops. So I only picked Copeland in that category just because I guess I expected a little bit more from him. Uh, but I definitely am not saying that he's been terrible this season whatsoever, but just needs to improve a little bit with the hands and that's all. But uh, I still love you, Coach, man. And Dave, I think you're onto something there because every time that there was an issue with the offense or that, that Copeland had, 
we had to see about it on social media. And that is just, we, we praise guys for their maturity. And, you know, this is a time where, okay, maybe you don't go to social media and people don't start to worry that you may be looking to transfer or whatever the case may be. But all too often we saw that and it's just a sign of immaturity. That was always my biggest issue with Copeland. Um, you know, if you're going to take to social media and complain about not getting the opportunities, then you definitely need to make the best of all the opportunities that you get. Yeah. Uh, as I said, man, if, if you, you, you can't go on social media anyway as a player. I wouldn't if I was a player. Uh, it's so hard to do, though, when there's so many people coming at you on social media. It's hard to, like, just stay off your phone and be like, man, I really want to say this to somebody. But, uh, you know, I don't think Marco has to do it as much because Chad Wilson's been doing it for him all season and making it probably making it worse on Marco. But, uh, yeah, I, that that's, that's one of the players I just expected a little bit more from. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe next season he'll all, all prove us wrong and probably have uh, – probably have a Kyle Pitts kind of uh, day where he pretty much catches every reception thrown his way. So, um, yeah, that's the guy that underachieved uh, this football season for me, but that was only because I just expected a little bit more from him. But it's not to say that he played poorly because he didn't really play poorly at all. Uh, you got a lot of talent on that offensive side of the field. There's a lot of playmakers, like like I said, Shorter, Copeland, Pitts, Tony. And uh, kind of hard to get the football when there's that many uh, skilled players out there at receiver. But, uh with that being said, it, it's been a full season of its ups and downs, but uh, if I could go back and look at all the seasons we had over the past 10 years, like I said, I'll say it hasn't been a perfect season, but it's been a damn exciting season. We haven't had a season like this in forever. Uh, Florida will have one more game to go, led by Kyle Trask, and it could be the last time we see him in a Gators uniform. So uh, guys and folks that are listening to this podcast, just enjoy this while we have it because it may not be like this next season. But uh, Florida has one more game left to play. And that is against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas. And we will be previewing that game next week. So make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast platforms to get that alert when that podcast is up next week. So, uh, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. I'd like to thank Will Miles from readandreaction.com and Gators Breakdown for joining us once again on the Gridiron Growl Podcast. And also, I'd like to thank Brian and Mike giving us their input here as well on the podcast. And if you'd like to give your input, on our podcast as well and get your voice heard, you can call our voicemail line at 352-888-4687 and we will play your voicemail here for your voice to be heard on the Gridiron Growl podcast. And if anybody would like to add anything else, Will, Mike, Brian, uh, you guys got the floor. I just think it's been a... Oh, go ahead. Will. Oh, wow. Everybody <laughs> wants to say something. <laughs> just, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's been an awesome season. So, uh, you know, fun to recap with you guys. Yeah, I was just going to say I've really enjoyed this season, and I look forward to uh, many, many more episodes. And, Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, and Dave, all I've got really is that uh, you've seen a lot of uh, messages on social media that, you know, people are really disappointed with the outcome of the year. Um, all I want to put out there is 8-3 and is not an unsuccessful season for this Dan Mullen, uh, even the coaching staff, uh, including Todd Grantham. Obviously, like I've done pretty much this whole episode, we can play the what-if game. But you've got to remember, Mullen came in. He has changed the, the the culture of this entire program, and he's taken UF to three straight New Year's Six Bowls. Next year, more than likely, we're going to see his players, his offense, and his team. All I would suggest to those fans that question anything right now is give them a chance. Sit back, relax, and let's enjoy what we've got. Yeah, 
uh, like I said, we got one more game with Kyle Trask. It seems like now he could he could choose to to come back next year. That would that would send shockwaves through uh, Florida Gator Nation there, and uh, I think that uh, I'd be very happy for it. But uh, I mean, that's another story for another day. Does Emory Jones transfer? We don't know. It seems like he's been very patient. Um, I, I have no clue, but. Uh, more than likely, Kyle Trask will probably go to the NFL. That's that seems to be the the, the popular pick there uh, with with what he's done this year, and uh, we still got a Heisman Trophy a ceremony to uh, to look at too. So maybe he'll uh, walk away with a Heisman Trophy this year as well. But um, yeah, uh, just enjoy this. And it, it's it, we got one more game against Oklahoma. Kyle Trask said he's going to play in the bowl game, so enjoy Kyle Trask in a Florida Gators uniform for hopefully. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the last time or not, but just assume it's going to be the last time. And, uh, yeah, been a great season here. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Will. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mike, for joining me tonight on the Gridiron Growl podcast. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast. And even this season has had its good and its bad moments. You know what we say on the Gridiron Growl podcast. In all kinds of weather, we don't just stick together, but we also keep it together. <laughs> <laughs>